We are back. My name is Kristen McEnroe, and this is the Friends from Home podcast. This was a really enjoyable and interesting conversation for me. I sat down and talked to Savannah Heidema. Savannah was in one of my classes this past semester, and we had never spoken, but I thought it was intriguing and pretty unusual that she is both a Harvard Law School student and a model. So I asked her to chat with me about all things modeling. You will see how ignorant I am, but I definitely learned a lot from this conversation. I really hope that you enjoy it. I certainly had a lot of fun. Just a heads up, there is a weird transition towards the end of the episode. That's just because the audio cut out and we had to reset some things. Other than that, it should be good to go. So let's do it. You ready? I'm so ready. Are you nervous? I'm never nervous. Never nervous? I'm never nervous. Why? How? Because I am only excited. That is a great perspective yeah. to have. If I feel nervous, that's just excitement. All right, that's good. So I am sitting here with Savannah Heitema. I wrote down in preparation the three things that I know about you. I think okay. three. The third one has some question marks. Okay. One, you go to Harvard Law School. That's true. Two, you're a model. I'm a model, that's true. Three, you know German. Yes. Okay. That's what I got. So that's what we're starting with. Those are great. Those are three great things to know. Why do you know German? Because I took it for years in college. And you retained it? I just continued to learn because I didn't want to lose it. So I had the language. And then once I graduated, I just kept up with it and continued. I read every day in German. Do you have specific things in German that you read? I read Vogue Germany every day. Is it? significantly different first of all i don't know what vogue usa is sure it's the it's the the same sort of thing it just covers culture and fashion and 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 trends and art but it's in german so i read it in german and i assume it reflects german culture yeah okay yeah i read about christmas markets today which i've i've been to one in munich and so okay that's impressive i studied spanish since third grade okay i maybe can ask where the bathroom is Banya, you mean? Yeah, the Banya. <laughs> so where are you from? I grew up in Michigan. Michigan? Yeah, a little town called Portage. Okay, and what was that vibe like? Small town? Was it rural, urban? Um, It was It was small. It was. A, I grew up on a lake. It was a Very lot of, solid. Uh, a lot of lakes. We had cornfields. We had some malls. What do most people do? It's like very just blue collar. Like we, there's a Pfizer plant there. It's, there's not a hell of a lot going on. My dad was an airline pilot. And so he didn't work there. He would leave. He would go to, to Chicago and fly to the airport and uh, fly into O'Hare and be able to go to work. Okay. So, Did that ever interest you? My brother-in-law's a pilot and I find it so fascinating. Fascinating. Mainly because I have a fear of planes and flying. You, I do it. So you like things when they scare you. I know that it's an irrational fear. And I will talk to my brother-in-law about it, and he will explain it to me. Mm. And it's all very logical. I just don't think a piece of metal that huge should be 30,000 feet in the air. <laughs> does he Does he say, does he use the line where, you know, they say, it doesn't want to fall out of the sky, a plane does not want to fall out of the sky. No, but I kind of like that. Yeah, because of the laws of physics, it does, it, it does not want to leave there. It's just so hard when yeah, you're up there. But it's there. hard to believe. That yeah, feels like yeah. a lie. It feels like a noble lie. It is what it is. It but is. Okay, so your dad was a pilot. Yes. And what did your mom do? My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. 
And I grew up with two siblings. I have a twin and then a younger brother. And we grew up in a very, uh, it was pretty conservative, small town. Not much to, not much to write home about happening there. I grew up in a house where my dad worked, my mom stayed home and, and had dinner on the table every night. It was traditional. Very traditional. Yeah, very okay. traditional, like run of the mill, very Midwest mm-hmm. energy to it. it. All in all, it was a very solid upbringing. It was a good place for me to grow up because it's very grounding. Yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful place to go back. Were you able to avail yourself of nature? What was your vibe as a child? I was a very outdoorsy child. We were like a 5K family. You know, 5K families when like you go, like you spend holidays, you wake up and you go run a turkey trot or turkey something. Turkey Ridiculous <laughs> crap. We did that. We were active. So I, I had a lot of outdoor time. We skied. Okay. Uh, I grew up on a lake, as I said. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of tubing and, and outdoor activities. Yeah. We did a lot of that. That sounds fun. That stuff. sounds like exactly what a childhood should be. I don't know about the 5Ks on Thanksgiving, but definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, what is the, what's the line that, like, you want to ask before you get married if oh. you're married into a 5K family? Or, like, that is true. It is a specific vibe. It's a, such a vibe. I'm thinking back to people I know mm-hmm. that do that. Yeah. And you're like, would you really want to hang out with those, like, that would you want to marry to that because you're going to have to run a 5k on Christmas morning. Maybe you should aspire to want to be yeah, in you the wanna 5k be, yeah, family. You want to be in the 5k family. That's totally fair. But are you? I am certainly not. You should like just be cognizant of that before you get married to someone. I'll put it on the Think long and growing list, list of, of all the things you need to check. I need to check. Exactly. <laughs> so you were outdoorsy as a kid. What mm-hmm. was school like for you? It was school-like for me. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. Public school, private mm, school. I was in public school and it was very, I, I, I had a very, um, I had a very standard upbringing. It was pretty mundane. It was, be- it was lovely, but there was nothing out of the ordinary, like where I, where I grew up. It, it was very normal and it was this little town where I feel like everyone, you know, when a kid would get caught smoking weed, like all the moms would know about it. Oh, was it, it was small It was small sense. enough. Like the community was small. It was very tight knit. It was, it was religious. It was a lot of, everyone was, was some denomination of, of Christian and it was. Was your family religious? Yeah, we grew up, I grew up going to church. Okay. It was much more conservative and I, I don't think if I had, I probably would have continued to live my life in, in very similar ways had I not uh, ended up leaving for, for work. But I'm glad. I'm very glad. I'm glad I grew up in, in such a wholesome way. Yeah, it's weird to think about where you are now. And again, I don't really know much about you, but this is the you know, you're gonna f- polar opposite. Find out. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Were you always academic? Yeah. Like nerd academic or just got good grades and I mean, yeah, because like when I was a kid, my punishment if I would get in trouble with my parents would take my books away. So like how cruel. Yeah, it was awful. And I would hide them though. I would had stashes. Like I would hide them. Or I would say I had to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and I would like keep books behind like under the cabinet. Like the that's pretty part. counterintuitive yeah. as a punishment. Was it yeah. just because that was what it was took your time? the only thing that like really didn't like I, I cared about. Yeah. <laughs> what type of books were you reading? Anything? Oh my god, everything. The one that the one that any any of the like the the popular lore of the children's lore of the time, <laughs> all the greats. <laughs> Bridge to Abyss, I loved. Okay, I loved that. I loved it like because of Winn Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> Like all that good shit, you know. 
Yeah. Like that really getting wrapped into those worlds yeah. at that age. I was so wrapped in those worlds. It was crazy. Were you a Harry Potter guy? I'm a Harry Potter guy for sure. Oh god. Absolutely. Don't I look like it? <laughs> <laughs> don't I don't you don't I seem kind of like a Harry Potter guy? I you know, I'm gonna have to think on that. I've known you for five minutes. <laughs> we'll see by the end. sort of a vibe. <laughs> I yeah, and I'm I not sure it. what I thought I was getting. If you're, into, if it's you're, different. If you're looking, if look no further to know what the vibe for Harry Potter guy is, because I'm right in front of you. So in high school, mm. what you're popular? Like what is? <laughs> what are you popular? <laughs> yeah, what am I I'm getting mixed what am I signals? To say to that, oh yeah, I was fucking popular in high we school. We can be honest here. <laughs> I okay, I'll go well, first. Yeah, because I, was, I, I had friends. Okay, well then I got I got hot. So like then I became yeah. So like and we're gonna get there uh, on that process. <laughs> <laughs> so like I was always like nerdy. Yep. but it was okay. Because I was not, because I got hot when I was like fifteen, so okay. it was cool. So then I, for that reason, I had friends, and and I mean, also I would like to think I'm a good friend, but um, yeah, I did the whole thing, you know, I did the like the homecoming court and crap, like nice. All the, it's so embarrassing. I was popular in high school, <laughs> like yeah, it's all out in the open now. It's so embarrassing. I told you, you're not gonna like the question. <laughs> Were you popular? Yes, <laughs> and I want everyone to know. If anyone, if you need to know one thing about me, is as I was very popular. In middle school, very popular in middle school and high school. When did it all go wrong? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> About an hour ago. Okay, nice. <laughs> Was it very clicky at your school? I can imagine if you're in a small environment. Um, yeah, I mean, so I grew up, uh, I was in San Diego my junior year of high school. My parents got divorced, and so my dad okay. was in San Diego, and so I was. I went back and forth. I spent some of my high school in San Diego. Quite a transition and culturally very different as well. Um, and that was what a bit urged of a shock. the San Diego when they got divorced. I think that he just he grew up in the Netherlands, or he was he's from the Netherlands, and he when he moved with my mom to Michigan, they did it to raise kids. Like they had the explicit intention of raising kids. They met and 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 they they traveled quite a bit because my mom was a flight attendant. Okay, my dad that was makes pilot, sense. So that checks out. Yeah, Love that. And they had been in Florida together, and then when they wanted to have kids, they moved back to Michigan because it's where my mother is from. Makes sense. And so he just wanted something different, I think. And so I went out there for a bit and, and it was very different. Kids grew up very quickly. It was, I was introduced to a lot more in, in San Diego than I, in La Jolla than I ever had been in, I, uh, in my life. It's a place with a lot of money and a lot of, it's a very fast paced environment. And I was exposed to, that was the first time I ever found out, you know, people did drugs and drug and whatever it was. Um, yeah, that had is a lot a of money shock. and drove their parents' cars and had ragers in their parents' homes. And it was just, it was a different, it was like a Project X energy. Of yeah. it, just, it just wasn't the same from where I grew up, as I've implied. Did you so see the divorce coming? Was that something that was percolating, or because that's an odd time as well? You're yeah. old enough to recognize. What's so going on. yeah, the divorce was was very uh, amicable. They okay. were friends. They still are. They're totally fine. It was that's like, best case scenario. Yeah, and and looking back, like if I if you have to go through, I don't think a divorce is is pleasant under any circumstances. But the way that my parents did it was was preferable. Was the best possible way i think that that could have happened so it didn't have too much of an impact you were just i was sad and i'm sad that relationships 
that love does not always last in that sense. And I wish, and I still do that. I, I think I wish people would try to make things work in relationships. Do you feel like your parents didn't? Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like they, I feel like they could have because mm-hmm. they're good enough for friends that I feel like there's this sort of like cultural myth that, and I'm not married, so I don't know how I'm going to going to feel and I'll lead with that. But where we feel like we have to somehow have these hysterical emotions and be so deeply, madly in love. But I think love changes over time and it becomes companionate and it should be. And there's going to be, there's, if you're with someone for 50 years of your life, like even if they're your best friend, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be things that don't feel so good. And and hopefully I'm not there, but I'm hoping that for my own, in my own case. And I wish for my parents that, although they're their own people and you know light light to them for that but um that i could get through it and that i could stay in a relationship for the the long haul when yeah. i choose to get married yeah it's interesting my parents very much have the companionship and nothing mm-hmm. else you can see i mean mm-hmm. they're just kind of best buds mm-hmm. which is a great thing yeah. i wonder how i will feel as well whether it's yeah. something to even strive for to keep that lust and mm-hmm. I don't know. Excitement alive, but I don't know how plausible it is, especially when you add kids into the mix yeah. and like money. Ugh. I feel like that's not sexy. Or like, you know, maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not there, but I just can't imagine that. That's like the hottest thing in the world. Like, but I also like my friends. Like, like I would, I would love to have a best you, friend forever. You, you like, you like your friends. <laughs> Got I'll it. live with them. Got it. You want to live with your, absolutely. I mean, that's Any, not the worst some, thing that can Some more than others. For sure. For sure. <laughs> some are hot. I don't know about some that. Some are pretty hot. I probably wouldn't pick the hot ones. You would not pick the hot ones? I don't know if it correlates with the personality types that I yeah. enjoy and can tolerate for that extended period of time. I mean, that's true. Beauty beauty does fade. <laughs> beauty fades. Or it never existed, or in, never the first existed in the first place. <laughs> but shitty personalities are forever. That's true. So you did one year in San Diego mm-hmm. and culture shock. Culture shock. Did you integrate pretty easily into it? Yeah, I made friends that I still, some friends that I still keep to this day. And culture shock was there. But I, I think the reason I, I feel so grateful for that experience is because at 16, having your environment shaken up in such a way that was not so uh it it wasn't in you know a traumatic way it wasn't like you know the rug wasn't swept out from underneath me nothing no one died it wasn't it was a it was a gentle opening a gentle Mm -hmm. awakening and so being able to be pushed into that growth and that change in a controlled way I think taught me and gave me the ability to then later on be able to be able to travel and go into new experiences and to be quite bold in a way that I don't know if I would have ever acquired had I not had that. Yeah. I was going to ask if you thought that shift and seeing a lot of new things and different ways of living piqued your interest. For sure. I think so. I think at least it prepared me or allowed me to start thinking about what that there were other ways of being in the world besides in, besides in Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And at what point, and this will lead into my ignorance of all things modeling and fashion yeah as we can see 
I typically dress like a 12 year old boy for the listeners. I'm I'm looking like this. this I'm like a 15 year old boy. Maybe. maybe Specific circumstances. Yeah. Anyway, at what point do you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm a model? At what point does one. Like, do people tell. How does one become (laughs) a model? I got scouted on uh, Instagram. At what age? 17. There was a mother agent named Dawn. She scouted me and um, I got placed with her and then she placed me in Paris. And I, I got my first contract in Paris and I moved there and modeled. And on a, that was when I was like 18. Okay, so you graduated high school. Graduated high school. Did well, I assume. Did, did well. Did fine. I did okay. I did I did better later on. Okay. I had not I had not blossomed into the bright young scholar that I am today, of course, not yet. What but. a comeback story. <laughs> Went from being above average to above above average. Yeah, I got a C in Spanish, I think. When oh, I was okay, fine. that's embarrassing. Yeah, it was humiliating, right? <laughs> Social suicide. <laughs> I don't know why you're here. <laughs> to admit that. Yeah, it Rescind the acceptance. Can kick me out of your apartment. Okay, so you moved to Paris. Mm-hmm. At 18. I was 18. Was that your first time there? Um, I had been to Europe once before that, twice before that. So not, yeah, yeah, not, not, not really. No, not, I mean, I did a lot of national traveling, like I was in the States, but I, I had not traveled much outside of the U.S. I'd done a couple, couple of things, but no, I, I, it was very much like full in right off the bat jumping on in and, and going there. And I was, I was young. I was, I was quite, quite young. And what is that integration process like? I showed up at, I got, I got to, uh, the airport, uh, Charles, Charles de Gaulle. Yep. And nice. I uh, think you, you hear my accent. Yeah. It was really great. Thank you. And, um, it's not German. <laughs> it's not nine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I ended up, had a, I went to my agency pretty much from the airport and they gave me keys to the apartment that they had that they had arranged for me and I had no idea what the hell I was in for. I just showed up and ended up in this apartment, tried to find a way to get some groceries, didn't speak a word of French, was like this a child and I was confused as all hell and getting a lot of side eyes. It was weird, yeah. And then the the that evening i checked my email and one of my agents had sent me an email for like this is your schedule for the next day and here's a casting and here's a test shoot and here's a whatever and like just from there just jumped right on in did you know what that meant because i'm sitting here like what is going on yeah it's it's very strange the way that, that the modeling works i mean essentially like what they what they call i don't know this is this is how it was for a while it's called building your book is what the term is. So they'll send models to capital, fashion capitals like Paris or Milan when they're just speaking in their careers, because then they'll build a book of photos. Like you'll work with some photographers, you'll do test shoots. That's what the photographer, the the benefit is photographers who want photos of you or want photos for their Mm -hmm. portfolios. And then you need photos so that you can then present your agents can then present those photos to clients. Yep. And you build that book, and then the hope is if you have a somewhat successful career in those early stages, then you can go and, and command a bigger market. You can do fashion weeks, et cetera, et cetera. And so that all that casting 
men was just, I was just running from studio to studio or apartment to apartment or whatever it was and saying, Hey, here I am. And, uh, you know, they might look at you for a second and then maybe you book the job. You don't really know at the time they might take a couple photos of you, but your agent every night before will send you your schedule for the following day. So you walk out of there not knowing at all Mm-mm. what that I don't know what that means. Of you. No, oh, as as far as the the castings, no. I mean, sometimes and often there's it's also the case, and I've been in several castings all around the world where they'll say, "Amore, oh, ciao, I love you," you know, like you're beautiful, <laughs> Bella, and then like you never hear from them. Of course, yeah. So like sometimes you think you booked the job and they don't call. And other times you think that they absolutely despise you. Most of the times they do, but some of those times they actually have you back and you're like just rattled by it. So did you find success pretty quickly? I was, I didn't know what that meant, but I could only compare myself to other people who were mod, who were other models who were there. And I found that I was working a lot and that I was making, I was earning a living, which is not the case, not the norm. There's sort of this uh, darker side to it, I think, that isn't discussed, which is most models don't earn a living. They don't become, they go kind of, you could go shoot your shot and Mm -hmm. most of the time you're just not, it's not going to pan out. Similar to acting. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, but I, I was making money and I was doing well and then I got, ended up getting signed back in the States and New York and Chicago and it just sort of all kind of went from there and... It's been, been a dream ever since. <laughs> Just kidding. It seems like it. <laughs> no. Okay, you're on a shoot. Mm-hmm. Are they telling you, like, no, that sucked, and do this, do that? What are the demands that are placed on you once you're actually booking shoots and stuff? So, also, my terminology is going to be absolutely sure, sure. fucking tragic. So, it really depends on the client and, like, what it is that you're shooting. So, if you're doing something, there's sort of a, a range and like I'll sort of lay out for you what the modeling range is. So there's a very commercial side of modeling, which is, you know, your, your bridal shoots or your Macy's or Kohl's e-commerce, which you see on yeah. the website, Airy, Rulala, whatever, yeah, yeah. all these things. Right. And like, you can actually make a very decent income doing those things. So like, or Club Monaco, then you sort of getting a little more high fashion, a okay. little bit nicer, you know, you get the, your Club Monaco's and your J crews and your anthropologies. You can yep. make like $5,000 a day shooting. Okay. For, for you're making a lot of money doing the commercial stuff. And then, you know, you slowly uh, making a gesture. Like, so on the <laughs> left, you have like those sort of very commercial clients and you can earn a very good living, but just not as prestigious yeah. it's not it's not a high fashion whatever and and then you get more and more exclusive high fashion from there so then you might see so scale over as i said then you're like looking at like a j crew club monica whatever more and more high end and then to all the way on the side where you're doing like a couture show for a high fashion house like Givenchy or uh, Louis Vuitton or Fendi or whatever. And, you know, then where you're doing that kind of stuff or you're doing like a high fashion publication, like you're shooting a editorial for a Vogue or for Harper's Bazaar for even an L, whatever it might be. Like that's where there's probably going to be in the most direction Mm -hmm. because that's when 
it's more of an art form, so yeah. to speak. And so the the everyone wants to make sure on that set that their vision is being realized. Yeah, so it's being mutually crafted. Yes, exactly. Okay. The photographer will care more and like probably direct you a bit more and tell you this is the story I want to create. This is what I I see. Whereas if when you're shooting ecom, it's awesome because you're you're getting a bag, which you're probably not getting if you're shooting an editorial mm-hmm. for Vogue. Yep. I mean, you will through other things, but that shoot itself isn't going to pay. But then when you're shooting ecom, they're just going to say, okay, stand. E-commerce, I mean, you're going to say stand left. Right. Yeah. So, which I think will probably be gone to AI soon, regardless. But Highly likely. Yeah. Good prediction. Mm-hmm. Where did you fall along that range or did you do the progression? So the majority of what I was doing was more in the middle to high fashion. Okay. So my like e-commerce clients, I would do the Club Monaco yep. and, you know, that sort of thing. And then my or i'd go to uh, like the urban you know like the mm-hmm. urban outfitters um they have like a whole compound and i would shoot for some of their subsidiaries and and they have a whole compound in philadelphia where they shoot anthro and free people and nolly and all sorts of things and then i also did editorials i i did vogue i did shows i did the fashion weeks i got to do some houses i i got to do fendi harper's bazaar okay you know like so i really got a chance to to see a lot of it i've done e-com for bulgari like i i dipped my toe in a little you built your book i built the hell out of my book (laughs) yeah yeah the placement on the range Mm -hmm. what does that do to talent looks what a specific person is looking for yeah so if you're doing more commercial, they're they're going to have less strict standards about weight. It's going to be a little more casual. They're going to want to find a girl who's a little more conventionally beautiful, all-American type. And the more you go to the other side of that spectrum where you're doing high fashion, you're doing those, you're doing shows, you're doing editorials, you're probably going to go from that, that very conventional beauty to a more unorthodox sort of beauty. And... If you can do both, if you have the range, that's lucky because you can make the money doing the e-com and you can also go over and, and, and be walking a show. Um, Is that doable? Like you won't be looked down upon if you're doing e-com that's and the thing. That's the That's the thing. So there's strategy that agents have to employ. You're exactly right. Because it cheapens someone's brand if they're doing e So you can try to do e-com, but like agents are very quiet about it. Like you do e-com and it's a little, for the girls who are doing like the high fashion shows, they still need to make money yeah. and the show is not going to pay them much money. So their agents might organize things for them that are more low key. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I, before my agents launched me for a show season, like they had me doing like faceless coach advertisements or like where you could only see like part of my face because it's ridiculous. But the whole idea is like when you then go do high fashion, it's like, you're a new face, you're a new commodity, you, you're untainted, so to speak. You're still art. Mm-hmm. They see, like the designers, the photographers, see you, the human, as a muse and as an extension of themselves and what they want to project into the world creatively. And so there's sort of a, a stigma that comes with dabbling in, in the more 
mundane areas that involve less craftsmanship. And I assume the expectations placed on you in the higher end of the range Mm -hmm. are much... Much more stringent. Like, when you're getting into shows especially, you have to be quite thin. You have to follow a very strict protocol. Otherwise, you're not going to book shows. Is it stated? Is it outright? No, not really. I mean, we all know what's going on, Mm -hmm. but those sort of, they're sort of, it's like more of a wink, like you know what you have to Mm -hmm. do. And if you don't, then you're just not going to, it's like you either make the sacrifices to do it physically or you don't. And we all know what's going to happen. If you don't, you're not going to book the show. Um, Weeping out the ones who don't want to commit. Exactly. But most of these girls, everyone wants that though, of course. And I think also when I, I met a lot of models, I've met a lot of girls who don't have families to go back to, or they don't, or they do, they have to support. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have the luxury of saying, oh, I'm going to opt out. And they get this opportunity and they see it as that could be how they're putting food on the table for their family back mm-hmm. home. That could be their way of, of getting out of a, a abusive situation or out of literally out of poverty and and yeah you're still making a living yeah and so they will do whatever it takes and there there are certainly some horror stories when it comes when it comes to models and the competitiveness and the uh the sacrifices i've heard of girls cutting up each other's passports because they don't want another girl to get a job wow yeah like when they live in some of these agencies will have what are called model apartments, which is they have housing for the models, especially when it's a, because a lot of girls will be if girls international because they'll need a place to stay. A mm-hmm. lot of times they're like 19 years old or what they're young. The agents need them to, to, to have a place. So they need them to get there, but they need housing. So they'll take the money for it. They'll rent out apartments and then they'll put girls in the apartments, have them pay ridiculous premium for the apartments this is not the ethical agencies, but some agencies do this. Yep. And then they'll have a bunch of models live together, sort of in not in not always the best of conditions. And we can certainly get into that. And it's not always, as you can imagine, you put a bunch of 18-year-olds yeah. in... A, it's not good even when it's no. normal. Even when it's normal, it's not good. But then yep. you put those stakes and you, you know, people from all over the world, they might have cultural differences. They might have... They're under a lot of pressure and it's it's not always the most conducive to a fulfilling life. Did you go into it saying, yeah, I'm going to make this sacrifice, no questions asked? Or did you not even feel like it was impacting you in that way? Oh, I for sure feel like it was impacting me. But I, I went in, I definitely went in like the, the first, the when I was 18 and I first got to that, that agency in Paris, they told me that I needed to lose a lot of weight. I was very thin already, but they said, yeah, you're not, you, they wanted to like send me home back to the States. Cause they're like, you know, you're just not, you need to lose X amount of weight or whatever it was. And I remember thinking, yeah, like I'm, I needed, I just need to, and this is what I need to do. Was I it need to do this again? Out, you mentioned that some mm-hmm. people are doing it to make a living, maybe yeah. to support family. Like yeah. what was the motivation for you? I think that I felt like I, I committed to it or in some sense. Like I felt like that was the commit. I had made a commitment. I wanted to see it through. I wanted to do it. And, and I didn't, I didn't know that that within the lead. I, I didn't know I'd still be doing it now at, at 25. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still, I'm still modeling now. And I didn't know that the, the road I would go down at the time 
But at the, I remember just sort of feeling like I was a kid. It was like, oh, this is a project. Yep. This is like a little challenge. Like this is a little, you know, it had real life impacts mm-hmm. and it changed the course of my life. But I don't think I saw it like that at the time. I think I just saw it as, oh yeah, I, this is a, this is a game for me. This is a, this is something that I can, can do and sort of exert my, my will here. Mm-hmm. And, and would you yeah. have been embarrassed if you weren't able to accomplish that? Was it more of a shame thing or you're just the type of person that is, as you said, disciplined, mm-hmm. want to exert your will and like to yeah, control things? I think it was innate because nobody, it wasn't like I really had stakes. Like yep. nobody really knew that I was doing it. Either way, it would have been fine had I not but mm-hmm. it was, I remember really wanting to. And then of course I'm already in Paris and I'm like, I, I feeling like, okay, I made this choice. I'm it's a sunk cost. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm here. I want to do this. And I've signed this contract and like, it's, it's, this is what I need to do. I'm feeling like that. I need to, to achieve this. Mm-hmm. Because you were what? 18 when you started. Not thinking about college. No, I was in college. Oh Yeah. That's even yeah. more wild. Where yeah. were you in school? Michigan State. Okay, nice. James Madison College in Michigan State. And so I was modeling in the summers full time and over breaks, and then I would leave school sometimes. And, and like, no one knew you were doing it. It just <sighs> didn't come up. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think people knew, but I don't know. I, I'm, look, I'm thinking back, like, I guess Instagram was a thing at the time, mm. but like it wasn't as much of a thing as to where you're like, I don't think there were stories, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm also thinking about myself because again, I'm ignorant of this world and I don't think people who don't seek it out are like, obviously you can look at someone and be like, that's a model or you hear about models, but you're not doing your research. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was, I think it was less of the, the social media culture, then because mm-hmm. this was what like seven and a half in social media years it's been a long time yeah. and so it just wasn't as much of a thing that i could show mm-hmm. at the time but of course i think i would still i i still remember posting whatever it was and like all my friends and like the girls in my sorority or whatever yeah. like knew that i oh, was you're doing a it. Surat. <laughs> i was in a surat. let's fucking go um <laughs> i was too were you for a semester what were you in Kai Omega. Me too. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah, I realized very quickly Kyer. that that was not my... That wasn't your jam? Does it seem you like... You seem like such a sorority girl, though. That's your take. No, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> you would be the first. <laughs> Even amongst the people in the sorority. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're living a normal college life. Yeah, I was like, I was traveling sometimes to go model, like mm-hmm. I signed with Wilhelmina in New York, and I would spend the summers modeling, and also I would leave sometimes and go work. And I was also in college. What and were you studying? Political theory and constitutional democracy. Is that a major? Yeah. Yeah, it was the best education I've ever gotten. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Was that always something you were thinking about? Politics? Yeah. Yeah. I've always had this deep desire to make sense of the world and and a curiosity to try to solve problems and complexity and i think at my brain at the age of like 17 or whatever i was deciding what my major was going to be somehow 
designing the political system was like the best way for me to make sense of reality. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and like keep entropy at bay mm-hmm. and like make some sort of meat, like impose meaning onto the world. And that's why I think I was attracted to politics and, and, and political theory and same reason I was attracted to law. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that you could create order out of chaos. I always have liked that idea. And so that's why I was attracted to it. And that's why I continued to, to pursue it in, in law school. Were you more into the idea, or I guess are you, because you're still in the process, yeah. policymaking, being a politician? What do you mean when you say designing the system? Designing the system. It was such a, it was such like a macro thought. It was like, oh, I just like trying to create order in the world. What were the best way of doing that was? So mm-hmm. I, I suppose now that I'm saying it aloud like that, yeah, that's, that's policymaking or trying to think through what that should look like in practice was always very fascinating to me. I was always very fascinated by what worked and how collectively we, we should all, how do we all function best? How do we all flourish best? And as a, as a, as a group. And so like comparative politics was always fascinating to me studying that knowing, finding out that the only way of being in the world was not liberal democracy, but mm-hmm. then finding out that that was what I've thus garnered the best mm-hmm. possible way. Or as Winston Churchill said, was the, the quote, like so the democracy is the, the worst of a bunch of bad solution or that's so you think yeah, the best yeah, of yeah. a bunch of the best yeah, of a bunch of bad right. solutions and i i i loved that and i loved trying to uh to order my reality i still do were you thinking about this in relation to law and law school at the time when i was uh, an undergrad mm-hmm. no not not yet i didn't know exactly what it was that i wanted to do yet there was a woman who was an attorney at my agency, Wilhelmina, and uh, her name is Marilee Holmes. And I reached out to her on LinkedIn when I was starting to think about applying to law school. And I was always like a shadow fan of hers. I, mm-hmm. she, I don't even know that she, she didn't know that I existed for a while, but I just thought that what she was doing was so dynamic and so cool. She was legal counsel for Wilhelmina. And now she's at, I want to say it's top dog entertainment, but it could be, I need to fact check myself um but she i think her existing kind of opened up the possibility to me that what i was already doing when i was in fashion like there was an avenue Mm -hmm. that i could have a very fruitful career in that and also bring some sort of order to things and that's what got me interested in in law through through a legal lens Mm -hmm. i could do that and so i ended up applying and and i took a couple years off i was gonna ask if yeah because you're 25 25 okay um, so I modeled for a couple of years full time between undergrad. What and was law that school. like? What was it like? Divine. Because then it's a job. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when I turn anything into a job, I'm like, mm, I'm good actually. I'm, I'm good though. <laughs> 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 I mean, it was a privilege because I got to live in New York. I got to be in Milan. I got to be all over the world and get paid to do it. And have a, the flexibility of just getting to kind of hang out. Mm-hmm. Like models just hang kind of, I mean, I don't mean to take away from the art. anyone, from the art or from <laughs> the grind, but it's kind of a chill fest mm-hmm. when you're not traveling because you don't have a nine to five. So let's say you shoot, I suppose a standard, if you're like relatively successful working model, you might shoot two times a week, three times a week, maybe once because you can make a lot of money just on a one day yep. shoot. And then the rest of the time, you're kind of like, okay, like, damn, I got to get a hobby. But 
Did you have you one? just chill. I read, yeah, of course. Reading yeah. books? I read. <laughs> <laughs> I read Bridge to Arvithia. Again. <laughs> I reread Bridge to Arvithia, obviously. But I, there's, there's a lot of free time. There's a lot of time that you have to account for when you're a model and that you have to find a sense of, of meaning in. Otherwise, it's kind of a dark space because you're like, geez, I really got to, I got to, fill my life up with something and you need to find a way to I think make sense of your reality because your 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 whole job is to be beautiful and you have to, have to think well who am I outside of it and did you find that fulfilling or validating or something else I think models are the most insecure people in the entire world because of the fact that being alive is sort of a performance and your job is a bit of a performance and the way that you look is, is the most important thing in the world. To me, it's just vulnerable. It's very, that's a great word. It's very vulnerable. I think appearance, appearance is reality. And so you look at these, these ads of these girls and like these beautiful women and have you ever seen the Ted talk with Cameron Russell? She's like, looks aren't everything. It's called, it's famous. It went viral, blew up. It's called, uh, looks aren't everything. Trust me, I'm a model. And she goes through and like walks through all of, uh, a bunch of shoots that she had done. So there'll be her with, with a guy and it's like the sexy ad mm-hmm. and they're rolling around. And she said, oh, I hadn't even had sex yet. Yep. When I took that photo. I hadn't even kissed a boy yet mm-hmm. or whatever. And then it'll show her again, some lingerie, mm-hmm. whatever. And she's like, oh, I was 15 here. Oh, like yeah. crazy stuff like that. Or like I'd, I had a math test that day. And you've I, lived like several lives, yeah. even though you yeah, are like probably you're, one, yeah. yeah kid. Exactly. But the, the point being that like behind those photos is this like very vulnerable mm-hmm. girl. And like, she probably like, I don't know, broke up with her. Didn't eat enough that day or like got her heart broken or got a fight. Yeah. Like it's just normal it's just everyday total, human being or, things. or worse. Yeah. And like, you don't see that in those images. And that's the, what matters as the, the appearances, the images, they, they credit their, your agents, if they're good at their job, are essentially crafting a narrative and cultivating you as an aesthetic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like how can they package you and sell you in that way? And so that's what you're preoccupied with every time you eat, every time mm-hmm. you work out, every time, whatever you're doing, you're always thinking about yourself as art, but not in a good way. C- could be, you can mm-hmm. change your mindset, but uh, you're always cognizant of how you look. And so for that reason, Models are incredibly insecure. So I can imagine if it's so connected to the vulnerability, are you, you're judging yourself based on how well you're doing or Mm. what you define as success. Mm. Yeah. But at the same time, I assume even if you are successful, you're also still berating yourself and it's never going to be good enough. Absolutely. It's never going to be good enough. And I mean, it's the same way and in any other profession, like there's social capital to be gleaned from your achievements Mm -hmm. in that, in that setting. So like your grades or what law firm gave you an offer and and the V on the vault ranking or whatever (laughs) the hell. And like it's, but it's, and then you kind of, people will look at you differently when you tell them the firm, whatever it is, it's natural, it's human Mm -hmm. that your sense of value and your sense of worth is very intimately tied culturally to the product of uh, what you're doing 
with work. Um, and it's the same, it's no different in modeling. It's like how successful a model is and what she's doing. Her friends will know and her friends will ask her about it at dinner. And like, it's the same sort of currency, Mm -hmm. but it's more insidious because it's out of, it's completely out of your control beyond you can be as thin as possible and you can, you know, just be as be so fit and so ready to go, but the not succeeding, it's very frustrating. I mean, you can avail yourself of every option you have and check all those boxes, but you still might not be someone's cup of tea yeah or your skin's breaking out and you can't control it or like whatever it is like you just you have to roll with it and i think that can be just that can be unfulfilling spiritually did you ever reach a point where you were so down that you just said fuck it i don't want to do this yeah so i applied to harvard law school (laughs) is that what is that what did it (laughs) kind of i mean i was kind of joking but yeah i had times where like I just, I felt terrible about myself. I was, I felt awful about myself. Like I was never going to be skinny enough. I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to be enough. I felt like that all the time. So I don't know. I don't know if it was ever one snapping point where I was mm-hmm. like, this, I'm done. But you live in a state of fragility. You live in a state that that makes you incredibly vulnerable because you're always on teetering a little bit. Play, you're always playing on the edges a bit mm-hmm. of, I think, sanity. And it's very models. If you get one, it, you have to have a thick skin. You have to learn to develop a thick skin. But even to this day, I notice myself being very sensitive to physical critique. Other types of critique are fine. Mm-hmm. But if I'm ever criticized for something physical, it's very like immediate. Like I, oh, I noticed that. In a working environment? In a working environment, but just any, any, I mean, any environment, like if someone criticizes me for the way that I look or compliments me for the way that I look, like like a stranger in my DMs or whatever the hell, like any drawing attention to your physical appearance. That will stick with me. Like someone can, can just tell, can say something horrendous and as long as it's not true about my, Mm -hmm. okay, I have a shitty personality. Great. (laughs) Confirmed. Confirmed here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Confirmed. Everyone's in on it now. Everyone's like, yep. Yes, your honor. No, they're not listening anymore. They're not listening. But that isn't, it doesn't feel good, but like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas a physical comment will stick with me much more because I was been very primed for a long time to, for that to be particularly impactful. We all have our things. We all have our things. Oh, for sure. So you apply to Harvard. Yes. And you get in. I get into Harvard. What was that process and your reaction? Sure. So I was in a very committed relationship at the time. And I thought that I was going to marry this person. And uh, we, we were in Michigan together. And so... I, I got into U of M law and I had almost a, a full tuition mm-hmm. scholarship to go there. And we sort of had our whole life planned. And so when I got into Harvard, I was very depressed, frankly, because I knew that I was going to do it. That and doesn't drive that, with. Yeah. My entire life would change mm-hmm. and that relationship would probably no longer be successful because I would be leaving and it, it just wouldn't work. Was their life trajectory yeah, bound different. to Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. It was just different. Okay. Um, it was more, it was bound to Michigan at the time. I knew that it would not be something we could move past 
for the, for that time, for other reasons. And so that everything changed. So like the whole life that I, I really saw in front of me with my partner at the time, with the life we were going to live with the life that I saw in front of me that was unfolded my mind just completely vanished. And yeah. So like getting into Harvard, I think was surreal, but it was depressing first because I understood the weight that it would, would bring to me. I mean, I would, I would be giving up that scholarship. I, my whole life changed. And I'm very happy in hindsight, of course, that I did it. So when you applied to Harvard, and I don't know if you applied to other schools as yeah, well. I didn't so, think I'd get it. But it was on the table. I mean, you you had to have some conception of some your ability. But it was like, it was still like this dream to me. Like it was, that was so, yeah, it was, of course it was on the table. But it was on the table the same way that like, I don't know girls think they're going to marry Justin Bieber when they're 12, like whatever, like, you know, like you think that mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's it's just like a silly thing that could happen, yeah. but it's crazy. And so, but yeah, when I got in, I was absolutely like, okay, what the actual fuck? And, but I knew what I was going to, I knew that you I didn't think twice about it. That's why I was so sad because I knew I wasn't, yep. I didn't have a choice in my own mind. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing this. And, um, it's also crazy how people react to it mm-hmm. in the sense that, I was still considering different schools yeah. once I got in, but as soon as people knew that I got in here, they were like, "Oh my god, you're done! Your yeah, process you're is done! done. Congratulations. Like congratulations!" And da, you da, da. knew at that time, oh, yeah. "You're going." Like, my shit's over. <laughs> so did you just wrap up everything in Michigan and say fuck it? I mean, at the so so I wasn't I was living in New York mm-hmm. when I got in, but my plan was got to it. go back and mm-hmm. like then live in Michigan with this person, have that be my life. So. That I suppose I wrapped it up mentally, like mm-hmm. there wasn't that what I was going to return to anymore. And I said, "Yeah, I was in again. I was in New York at the time, modeling, and I just said, this is where I'm going to go.' And then everything, everything really just changed like that. And what has been your approach to law school? What were the initial feelings coming in? Did you know people here? I knew people who had graduated. Okay, my feelings coming in, I was intimidated. I was very intimidated, but also just like absolutely thrilled. Mm-hmm. And and I try to, I play this game with myself a lot and I actively try to play this game with myself where I say, okay, but like Savannah, insert whoever you are, like five years ago or two years ago, like if you could know what you were doing now, how would that girl feel? Like, what would she be thinking about this? And then I can feel such a sense of gratitude mm-hmm. for it and such an excitement. I think gratitude is just ultimately such a such a cure for any resentment. And looking back and like remembering who that who that girl was mm-hmm. and how excite how how happy she would be always just gets me into the right mind state. And I I tried to remember that a lot when I first got here. And was settling in. It was a great, incredible change of pace from the fashion. And frankly, I know like the the trope of it's such hell. It's the most stressful time. One L to me, it was it was sort of a reprieve. It was a lot of work. Like if you ask my friends, they'd be like, you know, you were like a stress ball. Yeah, I was yep. still stressed. I was still very much engaged, and I cared a lot. Yeah, but you're channeling your energy in a yes, different way. But it was a sure. different way. And it was just like, I felt like I had control Mm -hmm. again. And that was lovely. It was a beautiful change for me. Very beautiful change. So you feel like you're in the right place. Yeah. I made the right decision. And you've found something in particular that you enjoy here? Like in law. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm on my way out. So I'm immediately thinking, (laughs) when are you going to get out and do things? I, yeah, I'll be at a firm in New York next summer. 
And I'm thrilled. Are you thrilled? Actually, yeah. Okay. Tell me why. Give me the pitch. The pitch is because, again, it's always what I've wanted to do. And like, I've always seen myself as an attorney and, or should say for my adult life. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's such a incredible honor to me to, again, to look back and be like, oh, could I, if I only, I could know that I I could live out that dream and, and practice and be in the city that I love so much. I love New York. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own version of New York and you can, I, I have such a, a love story with New York. It can be a love hate, but it's going to ultimately be a long-term companionate relationship. Me and her. You think you're going to be there for the long haul? Yeah. I love her. Yeah. I'm in love with her. So getting to be back there and getting to do something that is intellectually stimulating and lucrative Mm -hmm. and exciting every day at a firm that I'm really proud to be at Mm -hmm. just feels like, yeah, I honestly don't, wouldn't want to do anything else. And like, talk to me again in a few years, but like, (laughs) as of right now, it's, it's, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Are you doing anything specific at the firm or is it the typical rotation? It's the rotation. So hopefully it would be, I'm doing New York, but I also want to, they have an office in London. So I want to do, I want to be in New York and London. I'll be in the corporate department. I'm moving to London. Hell yeah. After I graduate. Hell yeah. What are you doing in London? I'll be at a firm. <laughs> Let's go. Let's absolutely go. So what draws you to okay, New York? Fuck. I don't know if it's a <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. What draws me to New York? Yeah. Because I... You don't I've like it. I've dabbled. You don't like it though. I don't think it would ever be a long-term thing for me. I enjoy the way I feel when I'm there. It was a hookup. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> and, like I, situation. and I will hook up again, yeah. but it's never going to be. It's never going to be love. No, it's not maybe be it's love. love, but it's fast love. It's yeah, I don't know what it is. Love. I have resentments. Please tell it's me your... Zantimont, you mean? Yes, of course. <laughs> the one thing we know about Nietzsche yeah. from our class. You could see my screen the entire time now, I know, because you're behind me. So you knew I wasn't ever listening to that class. Well, I was purely... On my screen. <laughs> purely <laughs> people watching. <laughs> I had the best seat two people watch. You had a great seat. And that's all I did. Yeah, it was great. You had a really good seat. Yep. Why do I love New York? Yes. <laughs> There's a sense there. There is something in the air that is magical. And everyone has their own version of New York City and their own relationship to it that is... What they called, I, I love the melting pot because everybody comes in and has some bizarre background or wants mm-hmm. to, wants to be someone you go there because you, you have some gift, you have some urge, you, there's something you want. And of course there's some people that most people are, are not from New York yet, but even the mm-hmm. New Yorkers, like there's just this, it is very aspirational as it's well. Aspirational because you have to fun. want to live there because mm-hmm. it's not easy to yeah. live there in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's yeah. expensive. It's yeah. dirty. Yeah. But then everyone writes their own story mm-hmm. there. Like you have your New York, like your places, your bars, your restaurants, and you're, you become so intimately connected because you're always in your Manhattan, mm-hmm. especially, but you're always in the city. It becomes such a part of you and you sort of, your soul very much intertwines with it in a way that is, is unique, but you're giving your story into this greater, larger narrative that is the 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 story of New York, and I find that very romantic, and I I love it. I love New York. I'm a big fan. That was a good pitch. Thank you for. I'll take that. it. I, I respect it. That. 
Thank you. I think the aspect of it that I do actually enjoy is how anonymous you are because yeah. you can do absolutely anything on the sidewalk and what no one do, will bat What is it? Why do you need anonymity? I, I forgot I was being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you're trying to hide? Honestly, nothing because I'm a very lame human being. <laughs> There's just something nice about being able to be in spectator mode a lot of the time in New York because people are doing crazy things. No one's paying attention to me. People are doing crazy things. I'm sure it's all wrong. Sure I'm tucked in at nine, as we know. <laughs> so I, I, okay, see, I see the appeal. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So it you're stoked. You're stoked. Stoked as hell. And what do you think the third year of law school is going to look like for you? I mean, we're still in, in the midst. Wow. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I guess if it's anything like this year, it'll be chill as hell because I'm vibing. I'm teaching a couple classes. Or I'm TFing a couple classes right now. You're taking Nietzsche for lawyers. Taking Nietzsche for lawyers. Uh, I'm a TF. I do the business law review. Okay. Vibe. And so I think it'll just be a continuation of that. And couldn't really get more chill right now. Like I just like trim my bonsai tree and like <laughs> read shit that I actually want to read and like write for like three hours a day. Write for yourself. I, I assume myself. I write okay. for myself. Yeah. Sometimes for others, but mostly for myself. And I just, so I just do all the things that I want to do every day. Like I love very set times of very non-negotiable activities every mm-hmm. single day and and so if it's anything like this year then it'll be and probably it'll be even chiller so you I can chill here that for way it. if you want and i highly recommend because yeah. this is what i'm doing with my life now you're completely laid back i'm chilling you're ch- as we as we all could could be. be we all could be and yet and yet so I want to ask you, do you feel like you relate to the people here or identify with them? I have some absolutely wonderful friends here. Some people that I absolutely adore, who I feel like we share vision. We have the same ideals in a lot of ways and who I absolutely just love. I suppose, I don't know if it's by virtue of this section. I think it probably is by virtue of the model, which I don't like all i would go so far as to say i dislike the section model i think it's a bad idea elena kagan right is that who did it who did it if it is shame (laughs) um and it really like the the, i think the whole idea is like you're gonna get really close to these 80 people but you don't it's just kind of weird and uncomfortable and clicky and like nobody really knows how to act because you have to see the same people every like you say hey you have to say hey every time like you see, now I have to say hi to all these people in the hallway just because we're in the same. Like, yeah, it's like it was summer camp. It's to like me, and summer I didn't camp. Love it's it. weird, and then but it, it sort of cuts you off from like I've made new friends no. this year that are lovely people who I who I adore in new classes, but you sort of get set up from that time. Like these eighty people, whatever like three you vibe with. Those are going to be kind of like your friends. That's exactly how I've done it because yeah. anything else was effort. Yeah. And well, cause also like everyone's kind of chosen their people mm-hmm. through that. That's how you select your friends. And I it's have like wonderful friends. friends from that. Yes. It's weird. And then it's really hard to find new. And I've been fortunate to meet some great people in my other classes this year, but I don't think Harvard law school, think about the original question you ask if I related, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's very conducive to building 
a lot of friendships. And so whether I relate remains to be seen because I just haven't had as many experiences with enough people that yeah. I would like to have. Cause it's like there's 80 people. And then you see, you meet like five new ones too. Yeah. Well, depending on who you sit next to, like mm-hmm. you just by virtue of like, you were sitting behind me in class. Like that I yeah, met not you. even that really. I yeah. just approached you. Yeah, you literally did. <laughs> I cold called you. Yeah, you cold called my ass. <laughs> like, but otherwise you just you don't you don't meet people. Yeah. And I and, and I consider myself involved. Like I TF a couple mm-hmm. classes. I'm on I'm on the board of the business law review. I go try to do the extracurricular things. And even then I've again made some amazing friends that way, but I do think it's pretty hard. I don't think Harvard law school is inherently a pro social institution. (laughs) Fair. Fair take for all of like the, the propaganda about we're building you a lifetime network. That might be true because you do of course meet some people, but it's not, it could be so much better. And I think it's a shame that it's not. I think also this semester has proven to be relatively nasty when it comes to being compassionate with each other and actually Mm -hmm. building a sense of community. I think it's been a real shame, frankly. And it just shows that there's a lot of divisiveness and I would love to see a bit more community. Amen to that. This campus. What about in terms of academic validation and academic drive? Do you feel like you fit in in that way? To me, people here, yeah. and I grew up being what I thought was not even neurotic, but I was type A. Yeah. I wanted to do well in school. Like I yeah. evaluated myself on that basis. Yeah. And then I got here and I was like, I'm throwing the talent. Dude, like getting here was the accomplishment. And now I'm going to take classes that I like. I'm going to but what about, explore options. What about one? Like, weren't you gunning a little? Like, no. Ask shut up. Really? Truly anyone. People think I'm the slacker now, which is comical <laughs> to me as a person. But I, there was no way. There was no way I was ever going to care that much and exude. Wait, so that. you didn't watch the paper chase and like read one L and you're by Scott Turow and you were like, I'm that guy and like roll up. I think you're going to be that dude. Roll up and like take meticulous notes and gun, 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 gun. Like that was me. I thought I was that guy. I wasn't. <laughs> I don't think I turned out going I got to this. Humbled. I got humbled so hard. Okay. So you did, you did experience it, but you came yeah, in, hot. Like, you came in ready. Yeah. I came in, I came in the guns blazing. I was okay. like, let's go. But it's all fun games to get Christmas trades back. <laughs> Never mind. I'm good. Love. I was just like, I love being average here. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's, that's so real. Um, <laughs> like that's why you have to remember, like when you only do, you do fine. And then you're like, okay, but I'm like, Harvard law. Yeah. So these are the most brilliant. That's what I mean. Up. It's such a warped sense of accomplishment totally. because of the pool that you're working with. Yeah, and like, I completely, I think it's probably not good for me, but yeah. I, re- I just rejected that conception of what I was going to do here. You transcended it. You're bigger than the rest of us. I'm a ghost. <laughs> you're, you're a ghost. It's just Guys. coasting. That's it. You're- but the outcome is the same, and that's how I justify it. Yeah. I am, I'm sure I'm missing out on things, and I maybe could do better if I tried, but I think I just tried to be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> No, trying to be realistic is just the funniest thing ever. What? I mean, like, yes, but it's fun to like play like you're gonna be that guy for a little bit. I think you just are that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. (laughs) I'm not that guy. I. 
Maybe I'm that guy. I think you... I mean... This is therapy. And I'm telling you, you're that guy. I don't know if I'm that guy or not. Uh, you're figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. Is there anything else that you want to go down the rabbit you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give any advice to the, the listeners? Advice to the listeners. What are your parting words and wisdom? I feel like I'm not qualified to give advice. Like LSAT advice. <laughs> like what I of, hope they're not what coming What kind to of this? advice am I qualified to give? You are intelligent. You're capable. Okay. You put yourself out there. I do put myself out there. You exert your will in the world. I totally do. Um, fortune favors the bold. That's my advice. I like that as a parting. Yeah. Fortune favors the bold. So, like, we're all going to be dead in, like, 80 years or less. So I'm trying to shit. go for less. I don't want to be making it <laughs> so just to like, that point. So just, like... Say what you want to say. Like, just shoot your shot. Always shoot your shot. Okay. That's good advice. Whatever. I don't think there's much more to say than that. No. Well, thank you so much, Savannah. This was a blast. Sorry I approached you out of the blue. (laughs) I'm glad you did. And here we are. I just had a wonderful chat. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs)